Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Justin Graham, Group CEO of MNC Saatchi Australia. Welcome, Justin. Good to be here. And look, I know it's a bit late, but congratulations, stepping up to a uh, you know, an even bigger leadership role uh, than before. And what a time to do yeah. it. <laughs> what a time. Uh, I spoke to someone the other day and they said they think I might be the first COVID CEO, uh, certainly in Australia potentially. And look, it is, it's great. And I'm sure we'll get to talking around change and around how businesses evolve, uh, but certainly to be given a platform for change uh, is be careful what you wish for, but that's certainly happening at the moment. So I'm enjoying the role. Now, where do you fall on this? Because you know, in, in leadership, there's a huge amount of pressure to give people some sort of certainty. And, and we've got those people that are already talking about post-COVID when we're still in COVID. Uh, there's those talking about there are fundamental changes and we have to get ready for the new normal. And there are others that say that we're just accelerating the changes that were already happening. Where do you sort of fall in that if you can make such an easy distinction? Yeah, it's a great place to start. And I think a lot of people are spending a lot of time thinking around this at the moment. There's, I think from our experience here as a business, uh, the leadership team put down a five-year plan at the start of this year where we talked about where we're going to be in five years' time. And uh, I went back and revisited that about a month ago. And certainly some of the things that we thought would take years have accelerated and have taken months, if not weeks, for us to go and implement Others just aren't relevant anymore. And uh, the conversation we had the other day is just questioning, can you even write a five-year plan now with what's going on, with the transformation happening just in the world, certainly technology driving that overall. So I think, I think you definitely need a plan, it's, uh, but you need to stay very, very fluid within that. And I, I posted something on LinkedIn the other day that we shared in the marketing media around the five tenets of change and how we're going to recover out of, out of COVID. Uh, and the word I used specifically in my post was around we're all muddling through this because I don't think there is, there isn't a holy grail. Some, someone hasn't come out and said, this is actually going to be the way forward, but there are certainly some great, there's some great thinking out there around how we're going to come out of it. And I say come out of it as if it's just going to stop one day. It's not going to stop one day. We're going to be in this world for a long time. So people just have to accelerate and get into it. It's interesting, isn't it, how people cling to false assumptions like, you know, that there'll be a moment in time where we'll be post-COVID, you know, and that will be when we get a vaccine. But, you know, even if we get a successful vaccine, it's got to roll out. You know, there's going to be a global rollout and it's going to you know, happen at different times in different places. Why is it, do you think, that human beings are so determined to have certainty or, or you know, this sort of, this idea that it has to be precise before we can operate? Because the world's actually not like that, is it? No, it's not. And it, it's, it's fascinating. I'm sure there's a deeper psychological answer to that as well. We love to, certainly in our industry, we love to sit within this world of phases, don't we? Go through and we build ourselves around marketing sciences around going through those phases and so much of that, you know, you know, it isn't the case anymore. And I think just consumers out there, we're looking for certainty in the world. You know, there's 
I was actually listening to one of your podcasts uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think it might have been maybe Rob Campbell you were talking to around this complete lack of trust that happens out there in the world now. And I think because uh, because we don't have trust largely in our institutions, um, in our governments, um, in our schools, in all these traditional pillars of society, although I think some of it has probably come back over the last little while, but you know, overall, there's definitely less trust there. So I think we are clinging on to things that we can actually see as certain. Um, and so we're looking for any type of certainty. And I think that's even the, the framing systems that we were using. And I think um, Jacinta Ardern did a great job around this. We're at level three, we're at level four. Now we're back to level three. Everyone was very clear around what that looked like. Um, almost some people were mocking in some ways. I was talking to our team over there. And when they went from level four to three or three to two, I can't remember what it was. I said, what are the differences around those two different pieces? And they said, level two is basically level three, but with fries. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's quite interesting, actually. So, yeah, we do grab onto those areas, and I think we will for a long time. Maybe it's, uh, you know, when we feel that we have no control, we're looking for some sort of framework to give, to give us control. But even that, the whole idea of control mm. is, a, is a fallacy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it really is. I think, and, and I mean, <laughs> no one would have expected what's happened this year. Right? No one was. Well, actually, I think Bill Gates was predicting it. Sounds like, but uh, but for us, me mortals, uh, you know, this this has come as an incredible shock. Uh, and so, yeah, so we are. We are absolutely looking for control. I think we're looking for control around our our home dynamics. We're looking for control around our um, our relationships with the things that we love, whether it be sport or the arts, whatever it might be, and also the people around us as well. Uh, and when there's no stability there, that's where you start to find some real fractures in society, I think, and certainly as it comes to brands, fractures between the customer and the brand and that relationship that exists there as well. Yeah. Um, it must be interesting from your perspective because you've got a very you know, good, great career as a strategist and... In some ways, strategy is about identifying the opportunities and then planning for me is then implementing them. Yes. Right? yes. So you've gone from you know, plan, uh, identifying strategic opportunities and, and developing an implementation plan to now running what has to be considered a major business. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got hundreds of employees, yeah. you've got millions of dollars worth of client investment and that type of thing. I've got two, two perspectives on this. First of all, what are the strengths of being a strategist going into a sort of this major leadership role? And what are the shortcomings of it? Yeah. If any. Oh, look, I think there would be, there's absolutely, and I think there's the the, the pieces that you pick up along the way that, that make you the, the leader that you are. I think strategists, uh, good strategists, uh, and I've learned from many over the years, are very good at uh, seizing an opportunity, understanding the trends and looking at where that opportunity is going to exist and then making a decision to go and act on it as well. And I've always, and I've moved around between consulting and client side and, and certainly uh, within the advertising industry as well. And I think it's been, for me, this constant tension and jumping between the, the thinking and the doing. Uh, and that's why I love, and that's why I think it's set me up for this position well. Um, uh, to think around who you need around you as well. I said to someone recently that I feel like the last uh, three months has been an MBA in 
operational and logistical excellence. Uh, and certainly from someone that came from a strategy background, I knew this business well. I've been in this business for six or seven years. But when you actually have to go and analyse every line item on the P&L and actually understand the levers that you can pull at this time, um, there's nothing that can replace that. And that's where you move very much from the theoretical to the practical in a space of minutes. So I think there's, I think the, the idea of being a strategist and coming into that role, and there has been some great ones in this industry as well, and, and there's been some people that, that haven't succeeded as we thought they would. Uh, and I think I take the learnings from that overall and say that you've got to take the idea that you, a strategist have this ability to gather uh, a bunch of people, uh, a, a crowd, and move them forward, um, paint a picture for what the world can look like in the future, uh, and then start moving people towards that piece. So I think that's a real strength. I think the weakness will be uh, exactly as, as you said, you know, the strategists aren't always strong around uh, the operations. Uh, and so to have people around you that are that other full brain experience is what I've had to do. It's interesting. You know, I think the, the quote, and I can't remember who said it, was, uh, you know, the great thing about great strategy is that it always falls to bits when you try to implement it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That strategy can sometimes exist in the ideal bubble. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you did mention there, you know, uh, that you've had a number of different perspectives on the on the business world. You know, you were a consultant, mm-hmm. uh, I think Arthur Anderson. Um, then you've been uh, client side at uh, CBA uh, Commonwealth Bank, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got a, a good solid career. I was going to say long career, but let's say a solid career in agency world. Mm-hmm. During that period. There's been some major crises, hasn't there? Because you know, Arthur Anderson, you were there during the dot-com bubble. That's right. So that would have been an interesting and, and, and fairly early in your career, I would imagine. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really my first significant job. Uh, you know, the consultants back then loved to poach people out of university and promise them trips around the world and all the training that you'd ever need, uh, whereas I thought of it at the time uh, as... Becoming a management consultant when you're younger is almost the the job for people that are okay at what they do but have no idea what they want to do. Mm-hmm. It is a great training ground, and I was very fortunate to go into Arthur Anderson when I did. Uh, it was a time, exactly as you said, it was the late 90s going into the millennia where uh, dot-coms were just firing. You know, mm-hmm. People were making extraordinary amounts of money off off ideas that, you know, never actually eventuated, just off promises, I guess, at that point. Um, uh, the area I was in in particular, though, was around business strategy and it was around transformation. And there were some ex-partners that had come in there from BCG and McKinsey and they really wanted to go and accelerate the idea of how Andersons could make that link, exactly as you were talking about, between strategy and implementation. And I sat between that. In reality, I was, I think, what's the... The, the movie about Enron, which talks about the fall of, uh, of Arthur Anderson as the, the smartest person in the room. I was the shit kicker in the room. And so I was the youngest person in the room and I was just absorbing. I was just learning at that point. It must have been fascinating sitting in those and, and just being in that position, almost like a fly on the wall without being a fly, <laughs> you know, um, to see the, the, the things that were going on. Because we also have to remember that it was also off the back of Y2K mm-hmm. and businesses had poured billions of dollars into becoming compliant 
for the day that the clocks turned to the year 2000. So yes, yes. that's also uh, you know, an interesting time. So, so there, was the, uh, there was that. Then you're in New York. Mm. With BBDO in 2007 8. That's right. When the global, well, we call it the global financial crisis. I find Americans just say they call it the recession that mm. um, you know, almost happened, happened to happen. Um, what was that like being in New York? Because, you know, I imagine uh, BBDO is just up the road from Wall Street. Uh, what was it like being so close to the financial action? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a couple of major global financial moments, aren't there? I mean, so, so, so back to the Arthur Anderson piece. Yeah, that was a business that went from 70,000 down to 5,000 employees in three months. And I remember the shock at those people moving on, either losing their job, being sold off to other consultancies. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. And I only say that, and then you fast forward to exactly as you were talking about. I arrived in New York in 2007 and uh, uh, really at the start there of Obama's race towards his first term. Uh, and so you had this uh, incredible feeling of hope as he was coming through, yeah. and obviously that was, that was the line. Uh, and, then, and then you had Lehman Brothers here. So in terms of... And that was about October. It was. Yeah, yeah it was. So I'd, I'd been there for about a year by that point. Uh, and in terms of the geographical footprint, yes, BBDO is on 6th Avenue, and Lehman Brothers uh, is about three blocks away. And those very famous scenes of the Lehman Brothers employees walking out with their boxes of gear and going out to the subway, I saw that live actually on my way back to the subway that night, and it was it was such a shock. It was such a shock to the uh, to the uh, the fabric of New York actually, and obviously the reverberations went around the world. I think at that point, I remember BBO went from six hundred to four hundred and fifty people overnight, and even just processing the people that were leaving that agency went into three or four o'clock in the morning just to be able to make the cuts that they, that, that they had to make. And that was a real eye-opening experience overall. Again, it was a shock around what value meant in the world. And we did some really famous work, which was uh, you know, looking at how you reframe the value. At the time I was working on, I was leading the Procter & Gamble relationship with BBDO and specifically working on Gillette, which was a brand that they bought five years earlier for $60 billion dollars trying to sell raisins to men through a recession that cost a lot of money and trying to convince people to be able to trade up to these things was, was pretty fascinating, actually. Mm. Um, but definitely some, some big moments and some really confusing moments there between Lehman Brothers and Obama going in and trying to drive healthcare and drive the economy. Um, and you know, we, were in, we were in the middle of it all, which is fantastic. So in the US, we had Obama with hope and in Australia, we had Kevin 007 <laughs> right. you know, pushing his own uh, message of hope and both of them being hit fairly significantly by mm. an unprecedented, uh, well, what was driven by the financial markets and particularly uh, many of the banks. That's right. And earlier, as I mentioned, you actually worked uh, at, for a year, wasn't it? Yes. At, uh, at Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, I did. When I got out of consulting, I went to the Commonwealth Bank and they were fortunate to have me uh, in their retail strategy unit. So nothing to do with marketing, nothing to do with communications. This was the pure business strategy around how that bank was uh, investing in technology at the time. So this was, I think, 2002, 2001, 2002 from memory. Uh, and it was at a time where 
their previous CEO, former CEO, Ralph Norris, had really doubled down on investment to say that banking will be differentiated through technology and the stacks moving forward as opposed to necessary customer experience at that time. Uh, and, and we were trying to make sense of that with a legacy, legacy business trying to move forward into a new world. And, and it was great to be a part of that. And again, those learnings are pretty interesting around where MC Saatchi finds itself now, around um, a legacy business, 25 years young this year, uh, and then how you take it forward through another change. Now, Combank at the time brought it upon themselves to change. Uh, to try and get ahead of the game. And that's why they were moving so far ahead of their competitors from a tech perspective and from a customer experience perspective. Um, the interesting thing, I think, coming out of COVID is going to be we're all in that situation together. This is a, this is a global crisis uh, and can't be underestimated, certainly an industry crisis for us. So, you know, it's going to be the people that move forward, act first, don't follow but lead, they're going to be the ones that are actually going to drive forward. Because it's interesting because what seems to be happening is the uncertainty mm. and the desire for certainty is actually causing some paralysis, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I think even if what we do on a daily basis when we're talking to marketing leaders, they are all looking for certainty and they're all looking for guidance and stepping into this role relatively recently <laughs> As we talked about before, I find the, the most common conversation I have with marketing leaders is what's everyone else doing? Mm. Uh, what phase are they in? Um, how are they moving from that phase to this phase? And, uh, and, and I think, and we've put some, some literature out recently around this in the marketing press, that you can't, you can't sit there with phases. You can't sit there with that certainty. There's, there's some things that are, there's functional operational needs and then that moves, that's moving now to a more of a sort of reinvention story, I think, around business models. And when I say functional operational, you know, there's incredible inertia that's existed when COVID started. Uh, and we saw it with some of our largest clients, but you had, in some places, life and death situations. You had the disadvantaged, the elderly, that just couldn't get down to their grocery stores. Mm. And, and Woolworths, our client, Created longer hours just for those people. Changed. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Right, that came out very, very early in the piece, uh, uh, and and some people you know, found ways to criticise that. But that was a phenomenal logistical effort to be able to get tired Woolworths workers who were already working around the clock to be able to go and create these new operating times. And there was another piece that didn't get as much press, uh, which I think was called community pickup, which we supported through communications, which was. Normally, you would have to go and pick up your own groceries if you're going to go and do a click and collect, whereas community pickup was granting friends, family, et cetera, to be able to go there and do it on your behalf. And I loved even the naming around that, to think differently around actually it's the community has to support each other through these pieces. And that was really the certainty of that first piece. But I think once people got past that, yes, we've got hand sanitizer, yes, we've got perspect screens, yes, it's going to be a safe environment. I think that's where we've gone into this messy middle period of all of this and that's where some people are really pushing forward by investing in brand and other people are, are hesitant and trying to work out what game to play. So this is almost the reason why it's important to have a strategy, isn't mm. it? And I think because you may have noticed earlier, I differentiated between strategy mm. and planning. Some people think they're synonyms, mm -hmm. but I actually think that the two are quite different and one follows the other in that strategy is about identifying the opportunities and setting up 
almost what, not just what you are going to do, but what you won't do. Yes, absolutely. Right? Then implementation is actually the bit where you have to be incredibly nimble or agile, yes. as people like to say. Yes. Because once you've got a strategy, yes. the implementation can flow within the guidelines that you've set up for the strategy. One of the best uh, the thoughts that I've seen on strategy is the most important part of a strategy is not what to do, but what not to do because yes. it's easy to do everything. Yes. The trouble is none of us have the resources to do everything. So what is it that we're not going to do? And that's the, that's the piece. And it's, the, it's great to do everything, but it's the ability to go and uh, over-deliver within the constraints that you've got, which will define actually yeah, the great outcome. So the strategy that recognises those constraints mm-hmm. as well and says actually we can go and get from A to B and, and further um, I think is is certainly where people are pushing forward in that space, um, and and it's interesting when we talked about the banks before, you know they've been through a really challenging period with the Royal Commission as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly, ComBank, which you mentioned, and, and is one of our clients here, uh, who who we've worked with for a number of years, and we're really proud of the work that we've done with them around CAN and this idea about moving moving forward and forward progress. Um, are in a very interesting position at the moment because they came out of some challenges that they had even pre-Royal Commission, which people forget around, the insurance scandal. Um, there was obviously the uh, track ATM issue as well, which got them into a mode of who they wanted to be before they were forced to go into the Royal Commission. And, you know, we saw I think a couple of weeks ago, Roy Morgan put them up in some of the top 10 most trusted brands in Australia, which <laughs> were in the middle of the Royal Commission. We weren't thinking we're going to get to that place. Mm. And I think that is a exactly as you said, it's a key point around where we need to be moving forward from a strategic perspective, where we can't play as well and some of the big structural changes they've made. Um, and then uh, having the plan so actually move through this period and actually move towards that. And and I think you know that is just an example of the type of leadership that, that we need to and I need to be showing in this business, but also we need to be showing as a as an advertising industry as well. Well, one of the things you shared a moment ago, where a lot of marketers and a lot of business people are saying, well, what's everyone else doing? The danger with that is that you end up just all moving in the same direction. Yes. And, of course, you know, not every business is the same. Not every business has the same strategy. You really see the ones that are very strategic. I mean, strategy is one of those words, and and you're you're a strategist. Yes. You know, you're you've had the title of you know chief uh, strategy chief, officer, chief strategy right. officer. But how many times have people talked about strategy? But it's clear that they don't really have a clear strategy because the implementation's all over the place. Yes, yeah. they'll, they'll they'll zig and zag, and they'll follow the crowd, and you know. And, and none of that is actually helping them achieve their ultimate objective. Yes. Because they're just doing what everyone else is doing. That's absolutely right. And I think there's there's a big difference between words on a page and the behaviours behind that as well. And, and we've seen that. I think, you know, in, in parts of, um, you know, well-documented strategies as well that are more towards a per- moving organisations towards purpose as well. You can see that um, a lot of those have faltered through this time as well as, as people have... Um, stumbled, they've, they've feared changes around the commercial realities of where they've got to get to, whereas others have really accelerated forward. And I think, you know, not to, not to bring again back to one of our clients, but uh, TAB, who we work with and who we implemented a very clear strategy 
their platform is long may we play. Uh, and we really wanted to move against the wagering industry that was had, had become very transactional. It was very much around the bet. It was all very much centered around a digital experience. And we wanted to be the, the, the leader in the, in the business, I'm sorry, leader in the category that was far more around uh, connection and around moving people forward again. And that actually wagering uh, plays a part but not the only part in often men coming together and men coming together around sport, men coming together in social situations. And because that strategy was so clear going into this COVID experience, it's allowed us to go and use that and support TAB in their conversations with the government, in their conversations with venues, and certainly their conversations with customers overall. And that's allowed us to go and put out work and create new initiatives that has led us towards that uh, and I haven't seen uh, the latest brand metrics, but I knew that I know that we were heading in that in the right direction around being able to differentiate ourselves away from that category. And so it's, it's times like that where people aren't faltering around where they're trying to get to, and actually, even though the plans all go off off kilter, you can still move towards that north star at the end. And I think that comes down to strong strategy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great case study, isn't it, for why it's important not just to have a strategy. But to actually have the strategy, you know, almost embedded in the organisational culture. That's right. That's it, right. Into the operations of it all, because it's otherwise it's it's an advertising idea, which is fantastic. But they are fluid and can become very transactional. It needs to be a business idea. Mm. Well, it it's, goes back to this idea that none of these strategies that exist within organisations, you know, the corporate strategy, the the sales strategy, the marketing strategy, the yes. technology strategy, yes. you know, the uh, the media strategy, the advertising strategy. You know, in actual fact, they're all part of uh, and should grow from one platform, shouldn't they? You know, the, the fact is that ultimately the, the root of all those strategies comes down to the organisation and what the overall objectives are. Yeah. I mean, brutal simplistic thought. Yeah, it's, it's the philosophy of MC Saatchi and it is. I think when people don't take the time to align and to continue to refine and refine and refine what that is, it just creates uh, opportunities for people to move off in all those different areas. It's, it's almost like you just need the river to be pushing forward. It's when all these little estuaries come off the side, that's where things can falter and that's where uh, back to I guess, the fundamentals are in strategy. Um, funds get allocated to areas that aren't on that that, that core purpose. Um, people's time gets allocated to things that aren't really going to add up to the strategy at the end. Uh, the communication doesn't represent where we're trying to get to. And then the customer experience, importantly, doesn't actually fulfil what you're trying to do. And, uh, and we can all think of businesses and brands in particular that haven't been able to go and connect those, those areas together. I think that's where you see the fault lines. Mm. So um, the other area was uh, that you did some time at Droga 5. Yes. So you were head of strategy then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an interesting brand because it's a brand that's you know, now it's been bought by Accenture yeah. or Accenture Interactive. But uh, it's a, an interesting brand because as a, an agency brand, it's had such mixed reaction outside of or mixed success outside of you know, New York. Mm. It's interesting, and I don't want you to comment on on Drover 5, but just on the sort of almost the lessons from that. It does go back or seems to hack to the idea of strong brands and strong strategies, doesn't it? Yes. 
Yeah, it does. It's uh, I mean, David Droga, what a phenomenal leader uh, and what a talent as well. Yeah, I think a, a couple of people asked me around that and I thoroughly enjoyed my experience there and have uh, an incredibly close connection to a lot of the people that work there, both in Australia and in New York as well, where, where I originally started having conversations with, with that business. Uh, I think, yeah, the, the, he, he was really clear um, around a business that is strategically led and creatively driven. Um, and, and I think there's there's something quite interesting around that, whereas he's an exceptional strategic thinker for a creative leader, as we all know, um, and uh, and really invested in that. And uh, I think around uh, my boss there, Sadiq Govill as well, who, who hired me, um, you know, he he was uncompromising around talent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the Droga brand has always been in that space as well. Uh, and you always think, wow, we've just got an unfair share of the best people in this industry. How do they do that? And, and, and so for me, that's a great learning around how do you go and take that forward? How do you create, create a brand, an environment that you're going to continue to get your unfair share of the best talent out there? And they certainly were able to do that. It is interesting from an agency branding point of view, you know, because we've got a lot of multinational uh, agency brands. You know, the, in, in the WPP, we've got what's it called, Wonderman Thompson and yes. VML YNR and, and, you know, and they're, while they're global networks, they're not necessarily strong brands, mm. okay? MNC Saatchi, global network, strong, yeah. you know, brutal simplicity. Yes. Uh, Droga 5, very strong in the US, yeah. but never really translated. No. The U- UK has always been sort of underwhelming. Um BBDO, mm-hmm. strong brand. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting. What does it take from an agency point of view to lead and grow a strong brand? And you've had experience, you know, you've worked at some of these really strong brands. Yeah, no, I think uh, absolutely. I think there's a core philosophy. I think, Pete, there's definitely strengths with some of the brands I've worked in different areas. I mean, BBDO were uh, the work, the work, the work, right, as, as we know. And, uh, and uh, they clearly prioritise that. And I think my, one of my old bosses and the gentleman that actually gave me my first job in advertising, Todd Sampson, he, he always talked about those common levers, as, as, as we know, which is around you can focus on the product, you can focus on the people, uh, or you can focus on, on the clients overall. And I think there's, you know, and, and everyone has a different theory around what you focus on and what will follow after that piece. Uh, and certainly... I think it's just been very clear around that for, for a business overall. And I think, you know, certainly back at BBDO's days, they were just around the work and the best the product. Work, the, the product will attract the best people because they want to be associated with that. And, and that. and that will attract the best clients because they'll want to have that injected into there. Whereas Leo Burnett, where I started, was very much around the people. The people, uh, you get the right people in there overall and give them the best environment to go and be the best versions of themselves. And that will actually go and allow them to go and do the best work, and then the clients will follow. And I think, uh, I think there's there's it's constantly that evolution there. But I think there's and the other part as well is consistency and consistency of leadership, and so commentary around some of those brands you've talked about there. There's uh, uh, more of a cycle of CEOs and leaders that move through those organisations to get moved around the holding companies. Certainly hasn't been the case here at Emerson Such and certainly is not the case at Droga when we think about the consistency of that leadership, certainly in New York in particular. Uh, and 
there's something around those brands just live in the DNA of those people. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and that's something that, that can't be replaced. It's interesting because sitting here listening to you, there seems to be a consistent theme all through this, whether it's strategy, dealing with crisis, building brands, mm-hmm. is people. Mm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the people that are around me uh, and have worked for me, and I'm fortunate in that a number of people have worked with me and for me at multiple places now, and I take that as a real compliment and a responsibility as well, that they trust their careers and they trust the opportunities that, that I and we as a, as a leadership team can give them. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you know, with this is, Darren, you know, this is a relationship business overall and, and, well, I, and I really pride myself on those relationships. Okay, so Justin, we say that. Yes. Right? We say things like it's a people business. Yes. We say that people and talent are important. We say all these things mm-hmm. and yet in a crisis we cut the people. We make them work ridiculously long hours. Yeah. You know, it, it's also an industry that is all-consuming mm. or can be. You know? yeah. So as a leader, mm. how do you balance that out? Because it strikes me that the best strategists are the ones that understand people. You know, Adam Ferry is a, a yes. consumer psychologist. You yeah. know? I mean, he, he, uh, to understand people seems to be absolutely central to doing any sort of strategy. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think, and I hope I certainly know our experience here has been uh, to try and pull every lever in the business before we need to pull a lever around cutting people um, as a way to to get ourselves through through all of this. Um, yeah, I think I think strategists are just more curious around people, aren't they? And that's not just people with strategy in their title, by the way, because there's a lot of people in this business that I would count as as very strategic. strategic. They yeah. don't have strategy in their title, and they are fantastic, and that's why that's what makes it brilliant. That's what makes our industry brilliant overall. But yeah, it is. It is uh, back to your first point though. Around it does sound trite to say we're a people business when you know that there's so many challenges within our industry at the moment that are really hurting people, hurting people around their ability to do their job, even down to what's more important than their job, which is around their mental health as well. Mm. Uh, and we've we've certainly seen that over the last three or four months. Uh, I think there's there's uh, the responsibility of leaders and leadership overall is to get ahead of that and say, okay, well, why are they working every weekend here at the moment? Why are they working these longer hours? And something we're looking at very actively at the moment is you can't just try and compress the same way of doing things into a shorter time. If the only lever you're pulling is less time, then people are going to blow up around that and that's not good for anyone so it's the leader sit there and sit back for a second and observe what's going on look at how the the incredible um, constraints around time that that have been put on us I guess over the last four months how that's starting to affect our best resource which is our people and then so we need to start changing those processes there's parts of our business that we've implemented that very well actually there's there's parts of our business where we have leadership teams which haven't physically met each other because mm-hmm. we've hired them during this period. And uh, they haven't been in the office for four months. Certainly our, our Melbourne team haven't, haven't been in that space and they've, they've led and won significant pitches through that time and they've just worked out new ways to go and do it that allows people to be able to still get their rest um, and get their inspiration and, and recuperate and come back together and, and do their best work. We haven't got that right across the board, um, but I think we will have to. I know we will have to become out of this stronger. 
Look, uh, you mentioned time, and unfortunately we've run out of time. I really appreciate you making time. Thanks, uh, thanks, Justin, for uh, sitting down and having a chat. Oh, thanks, Darren. It was great. Um, one last question uh, before we finish up, and that is, of all the people and all the leaders that you've worked for, which one is the one that's most inspired you? Thank you.